0: Good evening, Patriots, and it's Tuesday, June 21st. You are on Wednesday on the East Coast. We'll catch up after a bit. I still need Tuesday to go by a little slower. It has just flown by today. It's incredible. Patriots, remember, you need to get a good night's sleep in all of this. and There's no better place to get products for your bedroom, products for the bath, products for the house, and particularly goodnight sleep products, and from MyPillow.com. And if you go to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, which is the Bards Nation's landing page on MyPillow, you're going to be overwhelmed with excitement. Why? Because there's a flash sale right now on MyPillow's classic for as low as 1998, 1988. It's even better, 1988. And you're, all you have to do is use your promo code Bards, B-A-R-D-S. And then, of course, while you're there, you're going to check out those new slippers, those new super duper my slippers that are ninety dollars off, that have that all terrain tread, probably have like air lockers and four by four gears and all that low traction stuff right built into your slippers. You won't even know what's going on. They're so crazy. They're great. Just don't go mudding and then come back into the kitchen. Someone's going to get in trouble. And it's not. You can't blame it on Rover either. That's just it. Because it's human tracks, it won't be dog dog prints. So don't even get that in your mind. But anyway, mypillow.com, and my slippers are on sale for ninety dollars off, and you're gonna love them. And there's all sorts of other great savings going on: six-piece towel sets, buy one get one free; giza cotton sheets, buy one get one free. And the list just goes on. So head on over to mypillow.com forward slash bards. And keep in mind now, when you when you, if you're thinking about going to Walmart, just remember, don't. Just remember that word, don't, or how about this, no, because Walmart just got woke and dumped MyPillow products. It's crazy. All because Mike Lindell's fighting for the election integrity of 2020. MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. If you want to speak to a real-life person, you call 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939, and there are Patriot Pillow counselors on standby, ready to get you hooked up. Patriots, I'm interviewing Michael and Dell Thursday morning, so I'll probably put it up on Friday night. That'll be pretty cool. Haven't had him on the show for a while, so that's going to be nice. Got some cool people coming in this week. Seth from Man in America, gonna do him next. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, we've got all sorts of good stuff, so it's going to be some exciting shows. I know you're already so excited you don't even know what to do. You're like, oh, come on, Barts. Come on, man. Like, Tell us, tell us, tell us. What's that next? I don't know. It's just going to be good shows. That's what I know. They're always good shows. Yeah, that's do the corn pop thing. Come on, man. (laughs) You know, I I read this, listened to this piece. This guy was like super brilliant on dates and Masonic stuff. And I I literally, because today is summer solstice. Or, yeah, today or tomorrow, whatever it is. And tomorrow is that strange lineup of all the planets tomorrow. So every time we have one of these things, people are like, it's going to create a vortex, and it's going to suck the Earth into another dimension, and then with it, everybody's going to get vacuumed out and turned into cookie dough. You know, it's it's totally crazy, but apparently, <clears throat> apparently we have a big lineup of planets tomorrow, or today, or whatever, and I think summer solstice was today. And then you get into the Masonic stuff and you're like, Oh man, not again. Like there's nothing in this world that is, that hasn't been infiltrated and tarnished by these freaks. You know what a cornerstone is? You lay the cornerstone of the building. I didn't realize this until the other night. That's a big Masonic thing. And they have proof of it all over the country where every time they build a government building, they put on the cornerstone and it's so that it, faces, the summer solstice or something like this, I just roll my eyes. I'm like, come on, this gets ridiculous, but it's true. I mean, it's not, and it's not conspiracy because it's all there. Corn pop the other day when he fell on his bike, that's another thing. I've been meaning to comment on this for about three days. Are we, have we as a movement debased ourselves so much that we have to, we miss the most obvious piece of how much of a setup? corn pops falling off his bike was, I mean, everybody made memes and and it's just like they all come alive and it's like, uh, yeah, except it was staged. Did you catch the idea that first of all, he's on a bike trail and he falls on this crosswalk, which has a Masonic meaning of some fashion. It links it to, and I, I just went through this last night, so I don't have all the details, but research it. That's why I tell you these things. Go and research it. And so this guy's making the argument, which I think is pretty solid, that it links to Abbey Road because they're all walking on a crosswalk. All these things have to do with Masonic rituals. So the whole thing was a setup. And if you checked out his legs, it wasn't Corn Pop anyway. There's no 90-some or whatever he is, depraved, delusional man has fit legs like that. You know, it's crazy. But then here's the big tell, and this is the one everybody seems to have missed. You know, we initially saw this, and it was like some grainy cell phone footage. Like, oh, we got a new view of Corn Pop Fallen. Well, one of the ones I was looking at today, I started laughing. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me, and no one saw this? So as Corn Pop is still on the ground, there's two dudes with boom mics. Now, I don't know if you understand what that means, but I'm going to explain it because these are the details you everyone has to get smart on. We're watching literally a movie. This whole thing that we're watching is an influence program that's put on the public to keep everybody believing in the unreality, well, the reality, but believing in the fake government that we have because it's all just hand puppetry. You know, I'm still rolling my eyes. It's like no one can connect. The normies can't seem to figure out that when the supposed president of the United States is in a stage sound studio giving his briefings each day, it might tell you that something's not normal. Then there's this, like I was telling you, there's two guys with boom mics. Now, what does that mean? If you've got a boom mic, then that means you've got a recorder deck probably on your body, okay? And, like, I have a a recorder unit. It's for doing sound, and it's built by sound devices. Nice unit, too. But it's, you wear it in a kit around your center, like typically around the, you put it on your middle and then you have the wires that run out and you run a boom mic. So just to be clear, (laughs) your boom mic is about eight, when you extend it, it's probably eight to 12 feet long. And you has a mic on the end of it and there's a long cable that comes down that mic that you'll probably have zip tied or some fashion like that connected. So it then ultimately runs back and connects to your recording box, which is on your chest and there's usually like a big fuzzy at the end of your mic, so you have that's your wind sock, so you don't get wind noise in your mic. Okay, so you we saw these pictures of like the reporters jumping out of the van like they were trailing him, except you don't jump out of the van with an 8-foot-long boom mic extended at 12 feet with them all rigged up. I just can't get over all the details people miss. We didn't used to be like that. And it's all this is circulating around a particular, you know, all the social media sites and they're making fun of corn pop. And it's like, yeah, except that you're making fun of a movie because the whole thing is a stage. It, it all thing was made up. So it just, yeah, I, I look at these things. And I just kind of shake my head. I'm like, okay, whatever. Sounds good. Glad you guys are having a good time. I'm not saying you, but glad who's ever doing. It's having a good time. It's pretty crazy. We have a moral bankruptcy problem in our country. It's at the core of pretty much everything that we're dealing with right now. And it's dark because we're not able to get through. We're not able to get back to where we were until we start to reset with God in our nation. I played this earlier today for Bended Knee. I'm going to play it now. It's a piece of a podcast, Tim Pool's podcast. And... It's a segment of, which I think they call it Tim cast. So Tim pulls podcast and he has on his, as a guest, Dennis Prager. And I really want you to hear this because he gets right to the core of a lot of the challenges that we're dealing with. And Tim pulled, does a good job. He's done some good research and kind of been awakened to what the real intention of our founding fathers are. It's a good piece.
1: Human beings would prefer to be taken care of than to be free. I'll give you my freedom, you give me free healthcare. I'll give you my freedom, you give me free education. You can have my freedom.
2: An evolutionary psycho- psychological perspective, it makes sense.
1: That's right, that's the reason you need a, uh, a higher principle than evolution to guide your life by, which is why, ultimately, I do believe this is a religious battle.
2: The Christian moral framework versus an, an absent moral framework. Why do we have the value of innocent until proven guilty? Because we were raised by a culture that valued that. If you were raised in a different culture on the other side of the planet, they would not have the same value. In fact, there have been many countries that have said the inverse. It is better that 10 innocent people suffer than one guilty person escape. We in the United States hold an inverted view of that. And so I read about the Fourth and Fifth Amendment, the the presumption of innocence, the writings from the Founding Fathers, and the praise for Blackstone's formulation. And then I discovered his formulation was rooted in the Bible. And I said, that's fascinating. These stories from religion were carried on and left within us by the the previous generation, now people like Bill Maher say they don't believe in any of that stuff. Not realizing, he would have never known of that concept were it not passed down to him. When you look at other countries that did not have the same religious values, they don't have this. They have a presumption of guilt. You get locked up, and then we'll figure it out. You get a generation of people who say they're atheists, but still hold a lot of those Christian moral fr- a lot of that Christian moral framework. And now we're entering a period where you have a generation with no moral framework at all. And if there's no moral framework, then there is no truth but power,
1: which is what we're starting to see. If you cut flowers from the soil that nurtured them, you could look at the flower, and for a couple of days, it looks like it doesn't need the soil that nurtured it, but it will wither and die. The same with ethics in the Western world. They were nurtured in religious Judeo-Christian soil, You rip those ethics from that soil, they will last for a generation or two, just like the flower will for a day or two, and then they will wither and die. And that is exactly what we are seeing happening now. And that is why the founders of the country wrote that we have inalienable rights from the Creator. If God did not say murder is wrong, is murder wrong? I debated this at Oxford many years ago against the professor of moral philosophy at Oxford, and he's an atheist. And he said, of course, Prager is right. If there is no God, there is no objective morality, only, only subjective. You can say, I, I believe murder is wrong, but you can't say murder is wrong. Only if there is something that transcends the human that says murder is wrong is murder wrong. I think, are you saying, you
2: may be indicating that there's a moral absolute, this, this, but I if think there's
1: no moral absolute, it's then murder isn't wrong. I'm... The fact that people don't live by their own values does not mean that the values are irrelevant you could point to any number of religious people who have screwed up their own religion but you can't live without the principles
0: our biggest fight ahead of us is getting our country back to this foundation relationship in god and that's really the the strategic objective of so much of what we're trying to do i believe because without this you don't have a moral foundation we're wandering worse in a desert like we're just we're just scattered And you've got a bunch of people that are trying to reset this nation in their, this build back better model on a power and tyranny base, because there's no moral connection to anything. And of course, they're using this idea of identity politics for the sole purpose of creating greater division, not greater unity. And sadly, because so many people have never grown up with a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God, let alone even knowing Jesus or God in any capacity. It's very easy to sell the idea that we need to be unique. And this is this is really like a Satan hand trick right here, because it's each of you are unique and you need to be identified as unique and you need to be embrace the uniqueness that you're born with. Well, that sells well until, until what? Until you implement it. And then what happens is you end up with, I'm more unique than you or I'm not unique enough to get the attention I need. So I need to be more unique. So and you just end up with this constant division and division and division to where it's an impossible impossibility for people to come back together. We're dealing with a very deep evil right now. It's a very long-thinking evil. And it's bigger than most politicians are willing to address. And sadly, it has a lot of control over the political space. It's a hand greater than what we see. Politics is the theater. And it's a theater where people are allowed to believe and see enacted the reality that they wish we were. So politics gives life to the hope of a country living under the Constitution. It gives hope. It gives life to the idea that you're free. It gives ideas life to the idea that you can choose anyone to be your president and so these illusions are perpetuated by a system that's completely rigged and people get down and they get a little frustrated but then they say well we'll do it again in two years and we'll do it again in two more years and once in a while they get a win and a lot of times they don't and never do they ever get anybody in office that they really all agree on probably the closest we got to that was Donald Trump President Trump. But even then, as we've kind of seen some things happen, we've we've been left with a lot of questions and definitely a demand for a lot of accountability. But the illusion is politics. That is the theater. And it becomes a place where people sadly forget that this isn't God's game. And so they begin to worship and obsess over the theater and they forget the importance of worshiping and obsessing, for that matter, over God. And even those that walk a moral foundation find themselves being drifted and pulled into this place of immoral behavior because politics is not moral. It's immoral by function because you have to convince somebody by the way you dress, the way you look, all your vanity and you have by what you say and what you, what you promise, which are empty promises and promises most of the time that go unfulfilled. And it's so easy because in politics I can, I can promise you the moon. I can promise everybody out here a free cell phone, a free smartphone. I can promise you a bullet train from coast to coast. And if you believe me, then you're going to vote for me. And if I can convince you well enough, you'll vote for me many times over. And then every time we say, well, where's that bullet train? You're like stuck in Congress, man. It's stuck in committee, but we're working on it. Let me show you the bill. Oh, this is awesome. And people begin to dream. Begin to imagine realities that aren't actually there, but it perpetuates a reality which allows them to continue to see this person, not for some deadbeat, but rather as someone who's bringing hope. Because they're peddling hopium and, and people are taking it in big fat shots, right in the vein, injecting that sucker in there just like the biggest hit of the life because they need it. Why do people need hopium? Because they don't have an intimate and loving relationship with Jesus it's pretty simple. When people tell me that they follow Christ and they say things like, yeah, but life is just getting so tough. I'm like, then why aren't you talking to Christ? It's actually pretty simple. But somehow we miss that connection. It's like we talk to Christ when we need to, or when we're supposed to, like Sunday in the pew, or maybe in the morning in prayer, maybe in the evening in prayer. But what about the rest of that day? What about that? Because what happens when the world gets too big? We all know we should be turning to Jesus all the time, not just when the world gets too big, because then we're having this dialogue and we know how to turn to Jesus and we know how to lay things off. But we also know that God's going to put a lot more on us as we go forward. And he's doing it right now. This back to this place of an immoral society, a society that's been bankrupt in its morality, not that it's immoral yet, it's getting there, but that it has bankrupted its morality. And we have these generations that are now growing up without any intimate relationship with Jesus and any intimate relationship with God. So who's going to bring that? Is it going to be the shaman who's doing the rain dance with the drums and he's going to have it rain down intimate relationships with Jesus? No. Or is it going to be some specialized program that's going to come out in the theaters on Netflix called Become Intimate with Jesus? Well, we know that's not going to work. Or is it going to be some app on your phone that says, get intimate with Jesus, click me. And then suddenly you're like, oh, magic, look at this, that's so cool. No. You know what they say about war? It's really amazing about war because when you're in war, there's one thing, Rumsfeld learned this. Rumsfeld said he could fight the war on the cheap in the Middle East. He could just use aerial bombardment and then at the end of the day the enemy would submit. That's a bunch of crap, to be honest with you. No war is ever won without boots on the ground. So even in the information war, in the app war, in all these perception wars, if you don't have boots on the ground, you're not going to win the war. Now, to the left's credit, I'm going to give them a lot of credit here, they always have boots on the ground and always the places I don't want them to be. And it gets a little irritating because their boots on the ground somehow invariably lead to somebody getting beat up, something getting burned down, trash left on the sidewalk, and somebody having to talk about gender conversion And grooming kids. So that's kind of the whole left in a package, but I will give them credit. They have boots on the ground, though their way of doing it is despicable, immoral, and against God's law, but that's a whole other discussion. If we want to win this war, we're going to have to have boots on the ground, and we're going to have to understand what that vector is that we're trying to use and target in on to be able to accomplish and destroy and defeat the enemy decisively. What is that going to look like? Of course, when we say that, the first thing people have in their head is the Hollywood image is like, did you just suggest that we're going to war and we're going to start carrying shotguns and kicking in doors like that dude from Missouri that just did that horrible ad that scared me to death? Because I really thought when he said we're hunting rhinos, he was talking about going after people for real. That sort of crazy stuff, right? No, none of that at all. Because when we start talking about boots on the ground, what we're talking about is us in the community, us in our, our talking to our friends, our neighbors, young kids, engaging people, the homeless, whoever. And all we're trying to do is that we're not trying to sit there and give them a sermon. We're trying to open a door and provide a spark so that God can find a way in. That's it. And maybe that'll lead to another conversation and another conversation. And pretty soon, we're changing the world. Here's a great story for you today. Somebody that wrote me. One of our B dads, incredible story. I love these stories. So they were called by God to go provide food, groceries to provide groceries with people. They didn't know what they were doing, and they've been counting God put on their heart to find four people to help them buy food at the grocery store. So they'd done two, and they went to the grocery store today looking for somebody to help, and just being aware, and there was nobody there. And they got up to check out, and lo and behold, there's a woman with her daughter and she's rummaging through trying to put together enough money to pay for her groceries. And as she's about to pay, the this one of our B dads reaches over and says, Keep your money. I'll pay for your groceries. And the woman could barely afford the groceries, but this was a big boon. And here's the beautiful ending to this story. The woman obviously who was she was had pride in a good way she said, We don't have to do that. And our, our one of our great B dads says, God told me that I need to do to do this. And they hugged right there in the store and they cried. Because this is how we win. We are not gonna win this thing by memes alone. Sure, they're cool, they help a little bit, they make people laugh, they keep the levity up, they, they elevate the the frequency, the the energy and all that within us. Great. But at the end of the day, we've got to get back to a moral center in this nation. We can talk to we're blue in the face. I can talk to somebody who doesn't have any relationship with God, who's never heard about God, who's never really grown up with an understanding of what God is, other than some crazy church where they've been screaming stuff like the end of the world, and if you don't, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to hell. Or maybe it's that other church where some one of their friends went, and then they confessed to confess later on that the pastor was was diddling or something horrible like that. We have corruptions in our church, so it's very difficult for this younger generation to relate to a true relationship in God because ultimately in the in the temples of, of the Pharisees that we have all over our country now, the relationship with God always dictates that you need to put money in an offering pot. And if you don't, the, the whole congregation is going to give that that stink eye to you like, you did not put in any money in the offering plate. It's not a welcoming place. It's a judgmental place. So this beautiful story of two people meeting, it's two strangers, one buying groceries for the other. The person who was buying the groceries realized that the need responded to God's call. What an incredible story. And it, it's, these are powerful moments. They're transformational moments. They didn't take hundreds of dollars. I don't even know how much it was. It's just a point. I saw a grocery, a picture of a grocery cart the other day of somebody who had bought $150 of the groceries. I could have put it in half a bag. Oh, it was probably like a bag. Ridiculous how expensive things are right now. And this is hitting many people. That's one example of a thousand different ways, million different ways that we can engage with people and we don't even have to lead with God. We need we lead with action. That's the true power of the sword of the spirit, and that's when we cripple the enemy. We don't just hit the enemy; we cripple the enemy, because the enemy can't respond that way to the acts of glorious kindness that comes from a, a a heart of a cheerful giver. They can't attack that. They can try, they fail every time, because they can't steal away the gift. And that's at the center of the win. That's literally the Statute of Liberty play that no one expects with all sorts of other backfield dances going on. The enemy's confused. And then that everyone's saying they're not going to win. They're down to the final clock. And there it goes. And they win by one point. Except in God's world, we're all now in that place where we feel like it's at the end. We feel the crushing things. And God's like, Okay. Let's pull out the Statue of Liberty plays. Because guys, it doesn't matter what it says on the clock. All you have to do is trust in me. And if you trust in me, I don't care if you have a second. I don't care if you have a minute. I don't care if we've got the full halftime. You've got this thing. Just trust in me. But that action that we need to take, that interaction is just Beautiful. Take a listen to this piece. This is from David Icke, 1989. I wanna stress this again, 1989. Listen carefully to what he says. Reflect on where we are. It's
3: crunch time in this whole agenda, crunch time for the human race. This is the time when this network of interbreeding bloodlines wants to bring in its global fascist structure of a world government to which nation states would be administrative units. Um, of a world central bank and a world currency, a a currency that wouldn't be cash, it would be merely electronic, for which there are fundamental implications for human freedom. And also the World Army, which is designed to be NATO, um, expanding and expanding as it is now, of course, to become the fully fledged World Army, World Police Force. And underpinning that little lot is designed to be a microchip population in which we are microchip with our financial details, our medical details, etc, etc. Um, and that would allow not only electronic tagging, people knowing where we are all the time, it would allow the external manipulation through this electronic means of our mental and emotional processes. This will happen unless the human race wakes up and wakes up fast. And to do that, we need to understand what's really going on and to... Let people know that we've got to stop beating about the bush, stop pulling punches, stop pussyfooting around, keeping information from people, oh my goodness, how will they react and just say, this is going on, take it or leave it, make of it what you will.
0: There you go, 1989 and no one listened. We're here, right? And I respect what he's saying because sometimes you have to just throw it in their face and you have to say, hey, you know, you got to listen. But unfortunately, with an information war like we're in right now, we're at supersaturation and we're at a degradation of trust. So when you combine those two, listening tends to shut off. People are tired. They've got listeners fatigue. They have a lot of broken dreams. They have had to accept deep within them. They can act like they're happy, but they know, and you can see it in them. They, they're not happy because they've accepted another reality. They've accepted the fact that the world that they thought they were in, that world that they were counting on, it's broken. And with it, it took part of them with it. We've got to revive them. Because if they can see hope again, we're starting to create earthquakes once again. There's no easy answer to engagement. It's all I did ultimately in Afghanistan. If you want to water everything down I did for three and a half years, it was engagement. People say, well, what's that? Meeting with people, meeting with strangers, meeting with bad people, meeting with good people, meeting with disgusting people like human sex traffickers. You meet with a whole variety of people. And you have to learn how to talk to them. And it's really quite amazing because soon you do, you can always find some way to get into a conversation with somebody. We just need a lot more of that. And then we need a lot more of the actual doing of things. Because again, getting in conversations and talking to somebody about the great conspiracy or Joe Biden or whatever, let's get real. Whatever he is or isn't, the fact is that from the perception of things in this world, he is viewed as, in this country, by the majority. Even if they hate him, he is viewed as the guy in the office of the president who is the president, makes him the president de facto. We don't acknowledge him. We don't agree that he is. We say that Donald Trump is our president. That's fair because that's true. But the country's still divided. And the country about ready to get waylaid. Sad thing is that at the political elite level, they're not talking about food shortages. They're not talking about the devastation of an increase in gas costs. Families now that are having to increase their costs to pay for going to work, it's doubled. It's doubled in the last year. It's up seventy percent or more, actually, because it was down to about two fifty a gallon when President Trump was in. It's now up to five fifty, five to five fifty, depending on your market. And if you're in LA, you're talking seven to eight dollars. Families are now having to openly make a decision between gas and food, and soon it's going to be gas, food, rent. So the question is, where does? our trust lie. And we talk a lot about this, but it's something that struck me today when I was at the bank. And I hate banks. Matter of fact, I tried to make a point of never going to my bank if I could at all avoid it, but today I had to go. To my surprise, the teller actually knew my name, which was a shocker, but nonetheless, I was it was nice. I still hate banks. But as I'm reflecting on this, I'm, and I'm thinking about bank balances and where we all are, and I'm watching a woman next to me who's desperately trying to cash a check. She's not of that bank, but in order to cash the check, they had to do all of her ID check. And for some reason, they couldn't get the check to cash. And you can see just a, a, a frustration around, once again, the control of money. And I, you can tell that this was going to be an important amount of money for them to have. They needed it that day. It's a real, we're going to see a lot of this and it's a, a suffering in part because we've put our trust first and foremost in something called the dollar, which is actually a Federal Reserve note, which was designed by Babylonian masters to create Babylonian money magic to enslave us, which it has done beautifully, but worse than enslaving us, it pulls us away from the center point of our trust in God. Now, we're in a world that needs money. That's obvious. But it's a very difficult place to walk where we don't put money or the concern for bills or the concern for shortages or cost increases. Everything around us is being designed right now to put the pressure and the tension on us in such visceral and tangible ways that we're being drawn away from God. This isn't idyllic. This is not some sort of of crazy voodoo. This is principle within Scripture. And we're living in a time where we have to avoid the temptations so that we can stay close to God. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you that, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am always remark at the number of times God has to keep telling us these things. I will not leave you nor forsake you have no fear. Trust in me. I mean, I just keep rolling this over in my head. I'm like, God, why do you have to keep telling us this over and over? Why? Because we're actually pretty weak in heart and we're easily tempted away and we're easily drawn away. And it's really quite tragic God loves us the most amazing ways that God loves us. And we're dealing with an unconscionable evil, an evil that is willing to inject a six-month-old baby and enjoy the fact that that baby will not ever grow up to be the same. They, they're they pushing it. They're not just offering it. They're trying to make it mandatory so that they know the children will suffer and die or suffer the rest of their lives. They push a transgender agenda to knowing that children will be emotionally broken by the time they get up to age as adult. That they'll be confused. That there'll be higher levels of suicide. They know this. They encourage a 10-year-old child to make their choice on the gender of a future to go on beta blockers, hormone therapy, and conversion s- surgeries knowing that once that's done, that child will never be the same and they'll be scarred for the rest of their life. This is the evil we are dealing with. This is the same evil that wiped out 9-11 towers. This is the same evil that spent years, almost, what is it, 17 years or so in Afghanistan, 16 years in Afghanistan, pummeling, Actually, it's more than it's 21 years. 20 to 21 years in Afghanistan, pummeling places, blowing the hell out of things. Did the same in Iraq. Countless families ravaged, children killed. This is the evil that enjoys pitting man against man. And now, heck, it's great because women have joined the fight, and that's encouraging because women want to get on the battle lines. And so now they know that they can do even more damage because they can go and have God's carriers of the newborn be part of the war and be scarred and maimed for life to where even if they have, are able to have children, they'll be emotionally brought, brought down to where the children themselves will carry those emotional scars for their own life. All of this is intentional. And God keeps telling us, the simple things, trust in me, have no fear. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So why do we work so hard to try to kill one another, destroy one another? <sighs> See, we have a real mission. It's a beautiful one, but it's a hard one. And that mission is we've got to find a way to do these brilliant acts of kindness, to shake the hearts of people so that they can learn and have a touch of the beauty of who God is. We have to remember that so many of these people that are wrapped in this narrative literally don't know God. And worse than that, they've never had an experience that allows them to know God. And guess what? You, me, all of us that are listening, we got chosen. And what an amazing selection that is. And what's it take? An act of kindness. Like what? Maybe buy a gallon of milk. Maybe bring some cookies. Maybe just say hello to somebody who's never had somebody acknowledge them. Maybe sit down and read a book. Maybe talk to somebody who's alone that needs a, is a companion. They just want to talk to somebody for a few minutes. And then the whole time, if we're talking to Jesus and we're walking with Jesus and we're saying, okay, Jesus, I just want you to be with me. We don't even have to say a word about God or Jesus because you know what? We've invited them in. And that's the beautiful part of all of this. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. You see, God is there. All we have to do is say, please join me. So we have an engagement and we're like, well, this is going to be tough. Why is it going to be tough when we meet somebody, a stranger? If they're there before us, why is that tough? All we have to do is say, okay, Jesus, guide me on this one. This is going to be great. We've invited him in. And therein lies the magic elixir of destroying this cabal to the ground and i don't mean in a small way you want to talk about how to smote this enemy how to drive the stake through its heart how to wrap garlic around its neck so it burns it off you want to know how to melt this thing like the wicked witch of the east acts of, acts acts of kindness small acts of kindness and when we do that that's like satchel nukes going off all over the place and the enemy can't defend against it. The enemy can't overcome it because once that seeds in somebody's heart, it begins to clean. It begins to give light. It begins to give hope. It begins to shake the foundations of everything and pretty soon, what do you know? They're picking up a Bible. They're reading about history. They're asking questions. They're seeking And we know it's going to be great because, not perfect, but it'll be great. Because when we made that first contact, what did we do? Jesus, walk with me. Guide me and lead me on this because I'm going to open a heart today. And once that gateway's there, patriots, we are no longer in control. Jesus is at the wheel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we've come together and just very humbled in the reflection of just the power of acts of kindness. We just need that reminder sometimes, that nudge, a powerful, powerful nudge to remind ourselves that even when we're feeling down, we're feeling frustrated, we're feeling the world is heavy, we're feeling all these things, you have wired us in such a way that we can be revitalized, re-energized by simply doing an act of kindness for another. Father, we just ask that you can guide us in this place. Jesus, once in a while, we do need a kick in the butt, so give us one. It's okay. (laughs) We're tough, and if we're not, we will become so. But we need a nudge sometimes. Just a reminder of how easy it is to transform the moment to seize another piece of land, to seize another domain within this world for you, Lord. All with an act of kindness, an act that the enemy cannot defeat, an enemy, and an act that every single time we do it, we stab another blade into the enemy's armor and step by step, we tear them down. And not just tear them down, but we leave them helpless, we leave them inept, we leave them incapable of overcoming the most wonderful and amazing thing. They cannot defeat love, nor the beauty of what love leaves within us. Guide us and protect us, and we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Challenges out there. Acts of kindness, there's all sorts of opportunities. It's not about money, it's about whatever God puts before you. And right now, on my heart, I hear it, these acts of kindness need to continue. Each one pushing forward, pushing into the world, a space, creating a space where It's built on love, respect, and the glory of God. Whether seen or unseen, it's there. Those are the strongholds we're creating. Those are the bunkers we're digging. Those are the spaces we're now occupying. And it's the territory that we're taking back that we will never give up again. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Lots of prayers right now. We need a lot of acts of kindness in this nation, and it will transform things. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war. Walk fearlessly and boldly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow afternoon bended knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now.
4: All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the night's been pushing through. Fight for all we had to lose. reaching enough for something. I know the space between us will stay the same. Resting on this faith when your soul answers calls far away.